0: That thing is moderator for tonight's broadcast.: I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Joining me today is Amanda Milius. She is a filmmaker who recently released Plot Against the President, which is a documentary you absolutely must see. And if you are unfamiliar with the Russiagate episode in our recent history, it is a great walkthrough of all the really key moments and key things you need to know and I think the craziest thing is that that documentary gets you up to like the 10% mark in understanding everything that has happened in this period so Amanda hello
1: hi thanks for having me it's awesome to uh finally join you we've had this in the works for a minute
0: Yes. And I'm glad to finally have you here. You're busy down in Las Vegas. Yes.
1: Yes, I am uh, in Nevada uh, helping the team on the ground here. Um, I wasn't expecting to be. But day after the election, I jumped on a plane and met my old team here. I worked here in 2016. So uh, I kind of have a lay of the. I've kind of got a pretty good lay of the land of Clark County and uh, all that goes on there. So it's been it's been wild. It has been a wild two weeks.
0: Yeah. For all of us, I think. Um, so you said that you were there in 2016 and you began working with the Trump administration. Yes. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, in 2016, I just was volunteering. Actually, I had just, um, released my, uh, my film, my, my really my thesis film from USC film school. And, um, you know, it's a short It was 25 minutes long. It actually did pretty well. It was in like 40 or over 40 film festivals. I probably went to about 10 of those. And so I was traveling, uh, traveling a lot, you know, three weeks on three weeks off. So I didn't have like a super consistent um, job. So on the weekends or whenever I had free time during 2016, the whole year, I was uh, jumping in and volunteering, in Las Vegas, because it's the closest swing state. Nevada is the closest swing state to Los Angeles. There's no, po- at the time, there was no point in, uh, I, I just didn't want to do political stuff in California. A, because sure. somebody might have seen me, and I was still, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was fairly uh, um, upfront about my politics my whole life, uh, but things were really different in 2016. I didn't really talk politics at work, on film sets or something sure. like that. Um, so it was actually a really good release for me to be able to go hang out with my people in Vegas, all the volunteers and everybody like that. And so, um, so and things just started heating up so much and it just became too interesting and too exciting. And I just got yeah. so looped in with the with the really good people out here. And uh, they hired me, the campaign, um, the Nevada campaign hired me um, at the close to the end of the summer. So then I just stayed in this really uh, not, uh not not um gorgeous hotel that i lived in <laughs> and it's really crummy motel that i lived in for the for the rest of that time um, and, and I was the volunteer coordinator. And then I did uh, some stuff with them for the debates. And then I assisted the legal team. And my good friend, Heather, hired me basically to be their little mini paralegal, even though I had absolutely no experience with the law and, uh, and was just putting, you know, working with them. And that's actually the team that's, that's leading the charge now here in, you know, four years later, a lifetime later. Everybody uh, ended up from the 2016 campaign. A lot of folks joined the administration. That's how I joined the administration. Mm -hmm. But it all started just by volunteering here in Clark County.
0: So tell me about how you ended up, first of all, becoming a Trump fan in Hollywood, but also what? Yeah, go ahead. He's a Hollywood
1: Hollywood guy. I mean, you know, he's a a producer. But um, well, I always look, immigration was my biggest issue that I cared about as I grew up. Because I noticed it. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm some kind of, uh, you know, bad person for, for immigration being my top issue. You know, I was actually raised uh, almost basically by a, my, my Guatemalan nanny. And I I have a I totally understand, um, you know, I'm not I'm not unsympathetic uh, to those issues. But but immigration, as far as watching in real time, immigration absolutely destroy the city of Los Angeles as far as draining um, public funds. They just can't manage it. California is just a disaster. And I watched it happen so quickly. Um, and I I found that that was one of the main issues I cared about because when I started looking into the law and looking into um, how that works, I just, it's really outrageous. So the fact that Trump came down the escalator and was speaking about that issue more than most others, uh, that and China, which I've been keenly aware of also because of my dad and because of China's influence on Hollywood. Now, that is like a really old sore spot that I am very conscious of. So there's these background issues that I really cared about that he was speaking about. And obviously I was a Republican, you know, I've been, but not, you know, I'm not like a, I'm certainly not a Bush Republican. I probably hate the Bushes more than any other, uh, they way outweigh the Clintons for me as far as destructive, but,
0: but yeah, so I I, was
1: really fond of him at that point. And I didn't tell anybody, it wasn't like I was running around, you know, with the MAGA hat, uh, on film sets. Like I said, like I wasn't going to be Talking about it, but my friends, my close friends, knew that that's that's the direction that I was leaning in, and that's those that are the kind of politics I had. I always, my parents are big conservatives. Uh, both of my parents were on the uh, are big shooters. They're big sporting clays shooters. My dad was on the board of the NRA. Uh, so, the fa- I, I only say this because most of my friends in LA, except for a very select few have absolutely, uh, you know, disavowed me since um, since working for the president and and doing a movie about the president and s- basically just acknowledging that I am who I am. Um, they have just totally freaked out, save for a very few people, uh, which I find weird because I never had... It's not like I was, like, deceiving anybody. I was always right-wing. So, yeah,
0: I was not. I was a liberal. I voted for Hillary Clinton, and... I regret that very much, but I have experienced the same thing as far as friends in Hollywood go. I mean, and, you know, honestly, I, I feel like they're doing me a favor by showing me that they are so easy to abandon whoever disagrees with them,
1: Yeah, you know, and
0: they really think that they're doing something good.
1: Yeah, no, they 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 feel like they have the moral high ground, so it enables them to yeah. do things that they would no- normally. I mean, I still believe them to be good people, which is the difference between uh, us and them. Sort of is that I still actually give them the benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt that they're probably they probably don't know, you know, what what they're doing. Yeah. But the fact that they would axe family and friends uh, over headlines—that's the thing—is at the end of the day, I don't blame my friends; I blame the media. Um, because they think they really think that they're on a moral crusade and I, you know, they don't, they don't know any better. It's another reason why I made the movie. I mean, they, these people, they really believe what they're seeing on CNN and they think, you know, Trump is Hitler and we are Nazis and therefore they must reject yeah. their Nazi brands. They think they think they're the people that are standing up in Nazi Germany, not being, not going along with it when actually mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. the exact mentality of how things like Nazi Germany happened.
0: Exactly. And You know, I agree that they're not bad people to the extent that I find our friendships potentially redeemable, but they have to come to some realizations that coincide with a whole lot of apologies because, you know, when all this bad information hits them, it's totally possible that they could hear their very good, smart friend telling them, hey, that's not true, and actually pay the time and attention it takes to get to your to the bottom of one of those issues because it's only the most important stuff in the world.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's amazing, and they they don't... It's so weird because the thing that I... I don't know what it is. The thing that goes through my head every time I have another friend that wigs out and is like, I so can't believe we were ever friends. You're horrible. I never want to talk to you. I mean... My actual best friend, like I was, you know, not exactly in high school when 2016 rolled around, but I still had somebody that was like a best friend from high school, which was a weird thing at our age Mm -hmm. to kind of still have a true best friend. And I, you know, that person I haven't talked since a week before 2016 election. I don't intend to, but the, but I mean, that's when I run, when these things happen, when I get, you know, whoever it is saying, oh, well, we can't be friends because, this, you're just, a, I think it's terrible what you're doing. You're promoting this horrible person. Um, you know, I I get this weird feeling where I'm like, do they think that I'm a different person? I am exactly the same person I was when we were right. rebellious, you know, teenagers or 20 somethings, uh, you know, tearing it up in some kind of cultural sense. And I'm like, actually, they became lame. I mean, it's the weirdest thing because they're like, oh, yeah, like, it's so weird that this happened to you that you became a Trump person and I'm like you mean it's it's weird that I think for myself and that I don't go along with the <laughs> crowd. I was like that's actually what I was always doing. Remember that's why we used to have fun and and you guys yeah. like these yeah. karens that are like mm, please throw that away in the recycling bin and like you're just like oh my god like it's it's weird. It's weird.
0: They get to talk about Instagram filters and what the new hot colors for spring are. So um, yeah. wait, let me track back for a second, because I want to hear what you have to say about your father's relationship and your relationship with Hollywood in as much as China is dominating Hollywood now. Like, I feel like we're producing American propaganda for China.
1: Yeah. We're also producing Chinese propaganda for America. I mean, that's, that's, I should have problem.
0: said that the way you just said it. Cause
1: that's <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, it's look, it's something I've been watching for a long time. Um, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm going to dive into this pretty heavily. I think this is going to be either the topic of a net, my next, film, one of them, but I I want to write a book about it. Actually, I have this co-writer I want to write about China's influence on American culture, um, because basically the movies and culture were the most important exports the United States had. That's what won the Cold War. That is after, you know, a certain point, that's really one of the most important things we had. So China is not dumb. China is really smart. If you study China, if you look uh, and, you know, I've had more time to to become more, um, you know, traditionally educated in foreign policy since working at the State Department for three years and and meeting certain scholars and people like that um, uh, than I was in the past, which was just sort of foreign policy as a hobby. But um, one of the things about China is they always have like a hundred year plan. They're not operating on the four year plan that the United States really hurts itself by. You know, we can't think more than four years ahead of us because we mm. have the potential to change you know uh leadership every four years which is both a strength and a weakness but china could see very clearly that the most effect one of the most effective important potent things that we had was culture and it's not an accident that they spent all of this money buying um what china owns an american could never own for example china owns um you know distribution companies um uh, production companies and uh, theatrical, uh, you know, theater chains and um, does film finance. So they're basically, you know, after the antitrust rules, after they invented the television, you know, I think it's about like, I don't know, the 40s or 50s, they, they had the antitrust laws that said that you one company could not own the movie theaters, the production company um, and the financing. Like that's like not something that could happen. Um, China does that. China owns all of that. Like they, they don't have to abide by our laws. Um, that's like one of the many skeevy things that they do. I mean, the fact that uh, American production companies completely depend on um Chinese audiences buying their movie to recoup these insane budgets these 200 million Mm dollar budgets the only way they can make money is if they can make a a product that can be understood in every culture which basically waters down the product that's why you don't see movies like you did in the 90s where you saw kind of big budget goofy movies but they were very culturally impactful and they were American like Terminator 2 very American like cool movies like that, uh, that really spoke to the whole the whole country. Now, these movies are always these monster movies, or, you know, nothing. there's nothing wrong with a good robot movie, but um, it has to be, it's a concept that has no cultural, it, it doesn't require any cultural background to understand it. Like, every person on the planet can understand man being chased by monster. Like, there's nothing deep there. There's nothing, you know, uh, it's just, it's, it's really bad. But anyway, so that's... That's my opinion on the on the China-Hollywood thing. It's one of the worst things that's ever happened to our country that no one's paying attention to. But my dad, I initially saw get roped into that stuff when he was always trying to produce his last script uh, that was, you know, he has 35 unmade scripts about, um, 35 movies people wow. haven't seen.
0: But they're all owned. You right haven't to- actually talked about your dad yet. Can you, can you just give me 10 oh, yeah. seconds just so that everybody who's yeah. listening is totally familiar?
1: So my dad is John Melius. He was a writer and a director uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, he wrote Apocalypse Now. He wrote and directed Red Dawn, Conan the Barbarian, and um, Wind in the Lion. He wrote the um, he wrote the two uh, dirty first two Dirty Harry movies, um, and he wrote the what's other thing people know the um, the Indianapolis scene in Jaws. He rewrote a lot of movies, uh, Hunt for Red October, stuff like that. So he was a really prolific writer and director. He's
0: a legend.
1: He's, he was he was very prolific and uh, and he kind of got canceled. I mean, I don't a lot of the big you know mystery people always love to talk about is like why he stopped working after a Red Dawn, pretty much. I mean, he did make another movie after that called Flight of the Intruder, which is very popular in the uh, for the Navy, which I, I learned while I was out here. I thought no one saw that movie, but the whole Navy has it memorized. <laughs> Um, which is great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so he, you know, he finally pushed being kind of a right wing character. He was very upfront about his politics. That's one thing I'd say I learned from him at a really young age, which is super valuable, is not to care what people thought about, like, that was the one message. He didn't really do a lot of parenting, but the one thing that he, you know, made really clear is that you shouldn't care what other people think about you and, Mm -hmm. you know, do what's right. Right um or do what you think is right or do you know basically you know not not be he was certainly never imit- intimidated by the mob uh but at the same time you know he was also kind of nuts and he drove people crazy to work with he didn't work again after after pretty much those main movies he did write the series Rome uh on HBO oh, which cool. is awesome cool. um it's a great it should have gone on longer but you know uh he was also kind of you know, he's a very eccentric guy. He wasn't that easy to work with, I'm sure. Although he's very professional. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happened. A lot of people ask me at the end of the day, really, I was too young. I don't know. But um Yeah. Okay, so, so let's let's talk about your film. Sure. Unless sure. you had
0: something else there you wanted to add in.
1: No, I I'm trying to I'm like, wait, what was I? Oh, the last thing I was gonna say. So he has these 35 unmade movies, right? Uh unmade scripts, scripts that haven't made into movies. Um, they're all owned by different production companies. So a lot of people are like, oh, I want to make your dad's unmade scripts, but you can't, because I think you're, you're looking at like a million or $2 million off the bat, even just to get the scripts loose from the production company that owns them. Should they even want to do that? There's one that, however, is not owned by another production company and it's his best script he's ever written. It's called Genghis Khan and it's a Genghis Khan story and it's amazing. It's really, really good. And I have seen him try to make this thing and get it off the ground for 10 year or more years I mean more than that probably like he's been trying to make that forever and one of the times they had a Chinese backed production company that was going to do it and um a producer that was like oh yeah I have all the money it's from China la 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 and there was this meeting that I actually saw I actually sat through with him where he got up and left the table because there was um a bunch of Chinese dudes sitting around a table editing the script and talking about the notes that China would have in order for this historically fairly accurate um, movie to come to, to even move forward. He was going to have to adjust the script and he just got up and left because, I mean, he is notorious for not taking notes. He didn't take notes from Hollywood executives. He's not going to take notes from the Chinese. And so he just got <laughs> up and left. And I, yeah. I, was, I love that really young kid when I saw that. But, you know, and then for then on, for, from then on, he was just, you know, constantly railing about the Chinese and the Chinese influence in Hollywood. He And this was well long before anybody was talking about it. This was a long time ago. Um But anyway, so that was the lesson. That's how I started getting really clued into this very insidious Chinese influence in the U.S. I mean, don't even look at, the, again, immigration, the students in the universities and the the the, the China has been eating our lunch for for decades, decades, and the president's the only person that ever said anything about it.
0: And he's been saying it the whole time.
1: Yeah, yeah. The funny, actually, one of his best successes is if you remember in 2016, uh, one of the things they were making fun of him about, along with everything else, was how he said China. You know, they were always like China, which is which is true. I mean, uh-huh. he says China. but. um if you look at it now, mentally, you just look at the whole mentality of the whole nation. Everyone agrees China's a threat. I mean, he absolutely yeah. won on that. Everyone agrees. They go from making... Except fun- for Hollywood. Yeah, right. Exactly. Who just New won? York. Yeah.
0: And San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Hollywood thing in terms of China is ridiculous to me because everybody out here is constantly giving the line about this is my craft. I'm making art. Like you cannot say that you are an artist. If you're allowing China to turn your film into propaganda, I'm sorry. Like admit that you are a craftsperson doing a job and you are making a commercial of sorts, but you're not an artist when you're doing that. And the ethic was different in your dad's era, obviously and thank goodness there are still people that keep that ethic alive like yourself, but go ahead. Cause I think that you're probably on no, the same I mean, page.
1: This is, I totally agree. I mean, this is one of the things, so yeah, on the left, it's hypocrisy when you see these people, uh, who would, who would have you believe that suburban right-wing families are more, um, of a, of a constraint on artistic behavior and lifestyles and, um, and and culture than an authoritarian communist regime. I mean that's the part where you're just like it's there's people are just completely insincere. That's the thing is that there is this we I feel like as a whole people gave them the benefit of the doubt the reason people the whole country watched the Oscars and this stuff is like you know okay these are the storytellers of our of our nation like they're a little weird they're a little wacky they all like to live in Los Angeles but You know, we believe that they're artists and they're telling good stories. Now they are literally just enemy propagandists. And I mean, it's just uh, they're they're such dorks about it, too. The way that they just laugh Ah. every single um, new restriction and rule where they're just like, yeah, this is the um, female person of color version of, you know, Anything and therefore it's amazing. You know, I don't have any problem with that stuff. Like, but the thing, I just get so bored of their like their formulaic crap. I mean, formulaic down to the you know even even forget all the social justice stuff, which is just horrible. I mean, it just has no place in creative thinking. Like, I'm not saying you can't make agree, agree. about whatever you want, but then make them about whatever you want. Like, make them about yourself. Like, whatever. It's not. The idea that like uh, that only only those movies are uh, are somehow going to like break us through this new cultural landscape where everything's great is just so dumb. Um, You know, I say that having said that some of the best things I've seen my cohort from USC do um, are frankly coming from. People that were encouraged uh, to to get more involved in filmmaking because of you know those efforts. So like you know I'm I'm trying to be really fair about it. I think everybody should be allowed. The best filmmakers should rise to the top. That's it. Like I hope no so. Other, yeah. But one of the things that used to drive me insane was this obsession with like women in film as though there was something stopping them it's so dumb it's just the i the yeah, best yeah. thing that happened since i've been touring this movie around or doing press for it my favorite most cherished compliment comes from gavin mcginnis when he was writing with my producer who's my my co-producer who's a guy um who sent it to him sent him the movie and he was like you're telling me a chick made this i don't believe you it's too perfect <laughs> And that
0: sounds about like what I would expect from him.
1: Yeah. And I did his show and we both, he was just, I mean, I totally agree with him. Most movies by women kind of suck. I say that liking my, some of my one or two of my favorite movies are actually directed by women. That's fine. But the point is not like this. Ah, there's nothing that makes me roll my eyes harder than this. Like women in film, like, like it's just, it's awful. But, um, Sorry, I'm ranting now. Like I was, I was being- <laughs> That's
0: okay. It's a safe space.
1: <laughs> it's a safe space. We're ranting. Um, but yeah, no, I I find that really awful, and uh, I think yeah, the country was giving these people the benefit of the doubt. That, that is not a very artistic attitude. The the left and the, the cultural movements in the United States right now, you know, aside from frankly on the right, have lost their independent rebellious spirit. There's nothing rebellious about following the rules and, um, you know, oh, I have like all my movie is like designed perfectly to appease all the different groups and, you know, I'm ripe and ready for an Oscar because I can just go up there and, you know, it's it, it's just, they're so, uh, it, it's so formulaic and there's nothing rebellious about that. The only thing rebellious, the only culturally rebellious moment is happening on the right, which is why I'm here. That's like what I'm here for. I'm like, yeah. I always want to be in the uh, place where things are exciting. And I just, uh, the thing that I will say, though, to be to be fair about it, on both sides, so actually it was, I guess, yesterday or the day before, somebody, I think it was, um I forget who it was, but they were tweeting about, you know, uh, there's not enough right-wing filmmakers, Hollywood is too left-wing, and the, the people on the right have to hide. I've heard that for so long, and it is true. I'm not saying it's not true, because Hollywood will burn you at the stake if they find out you're right-wing. But... Oh, my gosh, the cowardice of these people who that are still incredible. sitting there hiding. Eve, especially anybody who has any kind of career stability. If you have any kind of safety and you're right wing and you're in the, the arts, you should probably I'm not saying you need to be polit- you know, always political. I hate how the left is like, "Oh, I'm a film director, so therefore everyone cares how I voted." Like no one gives a shit. But right, on right. the right, this idea that you have to hide, you only have to hide so long as everyone's hiding. I am and also what kind of artist are you being if you aren't true to yourself and you're not um you know, you're just kind of hanging on to your your easy easy situation where you're, and and again, knowing that you know, people will lose work over this. Like people will We'll be fired. They won't get hired. I mean, granted, I actually, you know, to be fair, again, say this, knowing that like a lot of my crew, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, this is first time filmmakers working on this. I'm like, yeah, that's not their names. So yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of people are like looking at our credits list and they're like, oh, this person's never done this before. This is a first time feature. And I'm like, no, those aren't anybody's real names because they have to hide. Um, oh, my God. See, for the crew, I can
0: understand stuff like that. Yeah. But the conservative celebrities out there, you know, the disservice they're doing by not coming out is not only to themselves, it's to everyone else. Because, you know, I think one of the most important things about getting the country back in a good place is that these people, these socially oppressive people realize that not only is their opinion a minority opinion. Yeah. But there's actually just more people than you could ever think. And all of these terrible things you say about Donald Trump and about conservatives and about Trump supporters and about Christians. I'm not even a Christian. The amount of things they say, like we hear them. You know what I mean? Conservatives hear that stuff. And you are not while you're virtue signaling out to the world about how much you hate Trump and this and that about women or minorities or whatever. You're not a good person. We can hear you. No, it's the craziest. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But conservatives should step up and create the space so that it is known that there are other people out there. That was the end of that point. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, and I'm, I mean, that's basically, I, ha, I had never really thought that before, and I never really said that before, but after, I think it was yeah, literally yesterday, I was like, you know what, I'm actually done with this, I'm done with the conservatives whining in Hollywood, I did the FOA thing for years, uh, which is, the, you know, I don't know if you know what that is, it's the conservative underground little group in Hollywood, and frankly, it was a really good idea when they created it, I think Andrew Breitbart um, and Gary Sinise created it back in the day, and it's called Friends of Abe, It's everybody knows about it now, but I um, it's basically, I mean, I don't know where it stands now. I, I think it kind of dissolved in 2016. Uh, I can tell you how, actually, because Ben Shapiro and his um, business partner decided that they were they were the heads of FOA at the time. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to support Donald Trump. And my friends and I on our side were like, uh, hell, yes, we are. And we kind of split the group. And it. it never, I don't know that it recovered. I had never checked in. But anyway, so there was this, uh, this like... Constant like, OK, we're going to meet in the back of a dark room and have a secret handshake and we're secretly conservatives and all this stuff. And all they do is actually just kind of whine about how, <laughs> oh, my God, I really care about politics. That's actually you know what? It's weird that I'm telling you this. I feel like I'm in like therapy or something because I'm suddenly remembering why I left L.A. to go work. I'm for here B- for you to go. <laughs> send me a bill when this is over. Um To go work for the, uh, to go volunteer is because I was in these conservative groups, whatever, you know, there's actually a lot of them in Los Angeles. There's a lot of cigars. There really are. There's a lot of secret groups of people talking politics. And I was in these groups and I was so sick of just the whining about, oh my God, if Hillary wins, we're all going to die. And and you know, I can't tell people at my work that I'm conservative. I'm just like, at this point, I, at that at that moment, I was like, you all need to be getting off your asses and driving and volunteering or donating money or whatever you can uh-huh. do, then just stop complaining and actually do something. Um and that's why I left and went and started volunteering. But, I mean, these conservatives have really got, in any field, in art, in music, whatever, I'm not saying go and be ultra-political. Don't. I'm not saying everybody's got to be, like, the Trump rapper or whatever. I mean, that's all fine and good. But, you know, I, I, I don't like movies that are overtly political when they're not supposed to be. Like, I say this after having just made a very political doc. But, but I mean, you know, just make good content and don't lie about who you are, and then nobody's going to have to lie anymore. Yes, they're going to freak out someone's house might get burned down but it's a war we're in the culture war we are in hopefully it doesn't become a hot war but frankly like that's this is where we're at just be yourself be who you are it's not we can't have this like whiny like scared conservative and hollywood thing like i'm done with it plus like we were sort of saying you don't have to work in hollywood i just made this movie i haven't stepped foot in los angeles or, or california for over a year and almost a half which you know i got to see my parents at some point but uh I have not like you don't you don't need to be in. There's no Hollywood anymore. It doesn't exist. It's done. There is no such thing as Hollywood.
0: I agree with you. And I've been having this conversation a little bit recently. I mean, first of all, there's going to be a cultural pushback to what Hollywood is, especially now that the country knows for a fact that 70 plus million people came out and voted for Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. After four years of media conditioning. That's why right. this election and the numbers, you know, we can get into, okay, election theft. We don't and, have
0: to do, yeah. But
1: we can, because I, I am can. The yeah the craziness. But but what I'll say is, ignoring that for a second, uh, looking at simply just the numbers, the exciting thing about that is, yeah, after four years of nothing but pure media uh, uh, just beating over people's heads every single day, the worst thing you can be as a Trump supporter, we grew we didn't shrink by we, a lot. There's people like yourself, like everybody that voted for Trump in 2016, I have, I have a pretty good feeling that very few changed their vote, right, in 2020. And then we picked up all kinds of folks like yourself and others who, you know, saw through the bullshit. And and I, I just, it's it's really amazing. They can't ignore it. That's why they're trying to. That's why they're not showing any of, uh, you know, election right. results uh, uh, aside. They're not showing any of the crowds. They're not showing any of the um, the support that the president has. And they're just amping these two celebrations for Biden in Park Slope, uh, Brooklyn or whatever, and San Francisco, where you're just like, yeah, OK, of course. But I mean, it's, it's they really don't want people to know how, how popular it is. Well,
0: th- the thing is, once they realize how many people in this country voted for Donald Trump. And I actually believe that that number is higher than the number of people who voted for Joe Biden, but we don't have to get into that. But if they think that those 75 million people or more are going to continue spending money on their shit, they're out of their goddamn minds. Yeah. I mean, this is an entirely new market. This market actually likes to go to movies mm-hmm. and they like having movies about stuff they like and not feeling like they're being spoken to like children that need to learn a social lesson so that actual children will clap for them at awards shows,
1: yeah, no, and it's it's the the example I go to, you know that I witnessed personally was. We had, uh, you know, really, we had a the, the Hollywood reporter, I'm going to say, has actually been really fair to us. Uh, they put out our trailer and, you know, granted, the article that accompanied it was like, you know, Hollywood child makes pro-Trump movie like that. That was like the. is uh, <laughs> if, that,
0: if that's the point.
1: No, but that's, I mean, it's fine because, but the, but at the end of the day, the piece was very fair. And what really happened is we, we debuted the trailer there. So the only place anybody could see the trailer for the first 48 hours was on this link. The website crashed the entire first day and a half. We absolutely crashed the player of the, you know, the trailer player of the Hollywood Reporter. And it's not like that's a website that doesn't frequently play blockbuster trailers that's what they do for a living that's their bread and butter that's how many people were interested in this um who aren't being served by hollywood who never visit that website i mean that's got to tell you like that's how many people aren't clicking on that website that it just literally couldn't handle it like america suddenly paid attention and it was like boom it was down it was amazing like star wars
0: didn't break it
1: no, Star Wars didn't break it, but Plot Against the President did. And they'll never tell you that. They'll never tell you that story. I mean, I have to, um, I have to thank uh, Cernovich for um, drawing people's attention to this. You know, he's been really helpful in pushing this out. Um, but he, was, he wrote a tweet the other day where he was like, uh, you know, the number one documentary in the world was directed by a, a female director. And you hear nothing from Hollywood, nothing from the media, nothing. Not AP. Not a peep. Nothing. Like I don't have like a. I mean, I if if the number one documentary in the world, which it is, if it's the number one documentary in America, it's the number one documentary in the world. Um, uh, if that was directed by a left wing woman about you know a a rainforest burning down a transgender um, like encampment, <laughs> in, like, you know, if it was like if it was like you know what I mean, if it was like the story yeah. of whatever, it would be this, this, whoever this person is that directed it would be, you know, uh, in, and not that I would ever want this. But the actually, darling. But it would be, yeah, you'd be, you'd see them everywhere. It would be in like Vanity Fair. You'd have nothing but interviews. Like, you know, it's just not, um, it's actually, to be honest, it's kind of a blessing because um, I have to say, I have pretty much the exact amount of ability to speak to the public that I would want. Like, I, I, I'm a really neurotic private person. Who's very very afraid of like uh, I don't I don't like standing in front of crowds and talking and things like that. That's why I'm behind the camera. But it's a kind of perfect situation because the movie speaks for itself, and uh, and it and and I can get the message out now um, that I've wanted to get out for for years. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's shocking to see because you know it wouldn't be that way if uh, if it was a left wing movie.
0: Totally. Let's talk about the film. So the way that I conceive the Russiagate story is basically in four blocks, like the period before the election, the transition, Mueller, and then everything since. So if we could maybe just touch on each of those blocks for a couple of minutes, and I don't think people really get what this story is and what this story means about everything else. And that's what I meant about the 10 percent thing. Like, once you understand that your movie is true, your mind just explodes and you're like, holy shit, that means that this and this and this and oh my God, wait, Trump was telling the truth the whole time about Russia and about Shifty Schiff and all of this. Then you're like, what else is he telling the truth about? And then the whole thing unlocks and. For people who haven't had that experience, it is an experience you must have. And if watching this movie gets you closer to that, then it is the single best thing that you can do for yourself. And I can tell you that it will. But tell me where you start this prior to the election.
1: Well, okay. So I would say, um, first of all, yeah, I agree. It's, it's weird it's, I, I don't. I don't want to get too esoteric on us, but um, you can. You know, you, Scott,
0: I talk about I, all sorts of I, I, philosophy bullshit.
1: I'm. I'm all about it. Scott Adams said once. Uh, you know, and he says this a lot, and a lot of people say this, that the the two realities that that basically, it's not that we have opposing ideologies so much exactly anymore. It's that we are living in two different realities, and yes, um, I think one of the cool things, and you know, this is what I hoped. And the fact that I'm I'm hearing from people that this is happening um is just the most rewarding thing I could hear. And it's it's very, very um, it's really, really like affirming and great to hear this, which is that a lot of people are saying that they're showing the movie to folks who are either not very political, you know, I, I find it hard to believe there's anybody who's apolitical these days. Um, right. but the people who are kind of on the left and, and are are seeing it and they're like having the reaction that you're just describing, which is like, holy shit. And it just cracks, it cracks the mirror of this other reality, right? It cracks the glass. Um, And suddenly you see things completely differently. I mean, that is the most rewarding thing to think that that could actually accomplish that. Obviously, that's, you know, the goal is to say, this is how I have seen this stuff play out over the last handful of years. And here's the evidence and here's the people talking about it. Um, But so... So anyway, so sorry, back to your your uh the way you're you're dividing it up. So the other reason I made it um is because actually what's unique about standing back, a lot of people are like, okay, well, why would I watch a Russiagate movie? I just saw it for the last four years. I'm exhausted of the topic. Who gives a shit? The reason that you need to see it in this 90 minute overview. Um, you know, and we, we worked very, very hard to not make it longer than that. Like it's, it's, uh, the extended cuts going to cover us on everything else. But the point was to make a digestible I can't
0: wait to see that by the way,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, if I could just get back to the studio, it'd be on its way to being completely at put out, but I'm like, I'm stuck. We with have that a country your- to save. Yeah. We have a country to save first, um, but so anyway, so the thing about having it in this 90 minute chunk and um, being able to see it in, all at once is that you're basically at the moment we are stuck on the ground level, you know, in a maze and you can't see the shape of the maze until you pull out, you know, pull out to the 30,000 foot view and you can see the shape of things. And at that point, you can see the chess moves. You can see the characters planning and plotting. And the the moves that they did, and it becomes more clear the significance of certain events and why people did what they did when you can step back and see the whole thing. Um, so that's if people are like, oh, i you know I'm I'm pretty used to the story, I know what it is. Like I would encourage you to still watch it because you you see so much more when you step back like that. Um, anyway, so yeah, the the sections you're you're speaking about are, are how we would divide it up. I'd say you've got your various. Um, motives, right, which is your pre-election, pre-2016, frankly, pre-Trump reasons that this that this happened. The seeds of Russia Gate were planted a long time ago and they come from foreign policy disagreements um, and various, um, you know, politics that went back generations. I mean, uh, decades like it's it's pretty much
0: it, everything post-Cold War.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, even, and I could, if I was going to be really nuts, I guess you could, yes, you could take it back back to the formation of the intelligence um, community. You could take it back to the misuse of the intelligence uh, tools and gifts that were given to the intelligence community uh, all the way back to right after the second world war. Um, You know, the OSS and the creation of that and the Dulleses and all that. I mean, I could go on forever, but this particular story, it really does begin pre-Trump. That's the other thing that's interesting about this movie that people don't either, sometimes they don't notice and sometimes they find this weird, but you know, the president's only in it once. President has one line in this movie. It's called The Plot Against the President, but it's not about the president. It's about this larger fight, uh, which is another reason why I think it's, um, you know, people are able to watch it who are, not super big Trump fans. And and they're able to see what was going on here matters because the point of the movie is this matters to everyone. It isn't about Trump or not Trump. It is about what these people did and are doing. Um, Anyway, so yeah, you've got your pre, pre-2016, pre-Trump era, which touches on a lot of the Benghazi stuff and a lot really with the reason that they went after Michael Flynn. Now, Michael Flynn's the most important character in this because...
0: I think Michael right. Flynn's the most important character in the world right now.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. if
0: you understand what happened to Michael Flynn, then you understand all of it. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, that is the... Uh, anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just no. like, You're that okay. one thing. Sometimes I'll ask liberals when they start to come at me, I'll be like, tell me what happened with Michael Flynn.
1: they, no they don't know. No, they call him a and. Friend. They have no idea. Right. It's, it's, exactly. It's, it's, well, you he
0: know. lied to the FBI. He should be in jail.
1: Oh, my God. And these are the same people that are out in the street marching against overzealous yeah. law enforcement. It's yeah. unbelievable. I it mean, is unbelievable. Yeah, that that really pisses me off, you know, and I've seen it. Uh, I see it all the time. Like, um, you know, I'm working with one of his lawyers right now, uh, not Sydney Powell. She's on the East Coast, but I'm working with Jesse Benal, who's um, one of his attorneys on his case, who happens to be the lead attorney in Nevada. And, um, you know, we've got the Lincoln Project, like harassing him and saying, oh, you Those rec- guys are the absolute no, worst, Disgusting, wretched, horrible people.
0: They're okay. actually deplorable.
1: They are. They are. And and they're just uh, it's so amazing how um, how the left will just embrace this group of like power hungry white men who are um, just just the most vicious, nasty people. They're they're totally all about money. And they it's unbelievable to see people of that level calling Michael Flynn a traitor. Um, it's just, so it's, we, that that's the kind of stuff that makes me think like, no, it's not fixable. This divide in the United States is not fixable. If you think that Michael Flynn is a traitor, I can't, I can't with you. Like it's not, but the thing is they
0: don't actually think anything about it because they they don't know anything about it. It's literally impossible for them to think anything about the Michael Flynn case.
1: Yeah, they have no idea. Um, and and uh, anyway, so the yeah, the reason that it's so he's so important is because he's a really unique figure in that he, for all you could look at his background and you would expect him to be a swamp creature in a way because he was in all of these various intel um, worlds. He did intelligence in the in the armed forces um, when you know in all the various um, uh, conflicts in the last. Ten years, he's um he's he he really could have gone. if you just look at him on on paper, just sheer biography, he could have gone so wrong. But it's almost like he's like divinely correct on everything. I don't know how it's like he he was quietly making these arguments throughout the Obama administration and um didn't align himself with the Bushies and was like he was like the perfect man for the trump moment to redefine the priorities of the american um, national security infrastructure which is the most important issue of our time everything goes back to the trillions of dollars that are up for grabs in the uh national security apparatus that is why I get really upset. I mean, you know, I like, like I said, I like like foreign policy. I like watching this stuff. I really don't like the people that do it, but um, <laughs> I, I, it's it's really important. You know, a lot of times people are like, well, how does that affect my life as a as an American just doing my day? And you're like, well, it, it affects the entire country because that's where all our money and power goes. And these people, you know, they'll they'll destroy people who who threaten that. And that's what Michael Flynn was. And the, the thing we point out in the, in the beginning of the film is we've got a lot of folks that work directly for him, um, KT McFarland, Michael Anton, um, and a handful of others who work directly with him, Seb Gorka. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they, it's a funny thing about Gorka, like they they know him as like a personality now, but they forget that he was in, he was at the elbow of the national security uh, team as they were creating, you know, coming into this new administration. Um And that's one of the things we tried to do in the movie is talk to people about things they had seen firsthand. I could have everyone in the movie kind of opinionating on and on about the various different parts of this. But what we tried to do is have these people speak specifically about what they were actually in the room for. And the amazing thing while we were making it is I kept walking out of these interviews going, how is there not a line of documentary filmmakers trying to get these know, interviews? How is there not a line of news media asking these questions? And I'm sitting there going like, am I, is there something wrong with me? Am I not getting this? Because this is, this is really obvious that this story needs to be told. And that was an amazing interview. And I'm going to put it in my movie. And and I, and I'm like, why am I the only one doing this? I mean, that was the question the whole time. I kept being like, what am I missing here? Why am I the only person telling the story? It's crazy. I mean... Uh, anyway, sorry to get off the bit. So yes, yeah, so we've got your beginning parts. The the seeds of the RussiaGate thing started back with Flynn initially uh, disagreeing with the Obama administration when he was in it about the Iran uh, the Iran deal, their relationship with Iran writ large, and. Um, you know, a lot of their ideas about expanding the national, uh, the intelligence community's capabilities versus his actual on the ground knowledge of how intelligence could make the the teams on the ground more um, agile um and and the intel community didn't like that because they're not actually interested in making intelligence useful they're just interested in protecting their jobs at langley and elsewhere and um you know maintaining the government doesn't like to shrink anytime it grows if you try to shrink it back to where it was maybe even a couple years ago it reacts like a cobra that's been cornered and i saw that firsthand i worked at state department and they would what's amazing. You could see a lot. You could see firsthand how the government grows and how wretched and disgusting it is and how absolutely no thought for the American people that pay their salaries these people have. But one thing that happens is so you've got a particular hotspot in a, in a, in a part of the world or an issue that pops up. They'll develop 10 programs to, you know, more than that, but as an example, 10 programs to deal with that particular issue. Um, you know, it'll be like, okay, we need like a public dipom- diplomacy thing to deal with this. We need an arts and crafts program to run at the uh, embassy for these people. We need, you know, we need a military response. We need a, this response. But now they just throw money and people at a problem. And even if it's a legitimate problem, let's say that problem gets solved in five years. All of those programs and teams aren't going anywhere. You, they're not, right. then, okay, we solved X problem. We'll move these people and resources to something else. No, if you try to do that, they treat you like the Trump administration and you're weakening American diplomacy and you're weakening our our, our position on the stage. And you're like, no, just because we cancel, you know, the uh, the funding for the lesbian puppet shows to counter violent extremism does not mean we're weakening our position in the world. I mean, that's the like, <laughs> And on a on a more serious and larger scale that's what Flynn was about he was like no we we need actionable intelligence we need we need can trim the fat it'll make us more uh, make us safer and um, you know not have so much politicizing of intelligence and all of all of that as well and the intelligence community reacted like a cornered cobra they bit and they they struck at anything that threatened them and they're they're I I there's nothing. There's nothing I have less respect for than the American intelligence community. I mean, I I and and it's because I think that our national security infrastructure is necessary that I'm so angry at them. Um that's one of the things that people don't it understand. Sounds like
0: they're going to get a big surprise real soon.
1: I hope so. I mean, I really hope so. I think they're going to get a big surprise when they they realize that the country is not coming back under their um spell. That it's it's just they tried to catch up um, and, and it's just not working anymore. They're done. It's, it's no one, they're, they're, they're so, the institutions are so decayed. And that's one of the other things I can't stand is, you know, I get a lot of attacks for people saying like, oh, well, you know, you're insulting these great institutions that are really important to keep us safe. I didn't hurt the institution. Yeah. They fucked the institution. The FBI should be completely dissolved and rebuilt from scratch. I don't care if there's good people in there that are like, oh, well, there's some good lower level people. And you're like, yeah, well, they worked for people like Peter Struck, And so therefore I'm done with them. Like they're done. They've done nothing yeah. but attack Americans. Um, and and it's the fact that we don't have answers about the uh, the shooting in Las Vegas uh, from a couple of years. I ago,
0: always talk about that.
1: Yeah, we don't have answers about that. Uh, we have a whole bunch of horseshit fed to us about every great tragedy that's ever been happened in our country, but they are are pursuing Michael Flynn till the end of the earth. I mean, it's the most disgusting. We live in a third world security state. I mean, that's that's what it is. We we are yeah. we're not in control of this this country. I mean, it's it's terrible. But the um, yeah, these institutions, they're the 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 intelligence community, the FBI um they're they're completely not savable they're not salvageable they uh the only thing that will fix them is having them dissolved and built again from scratch and with with new thought
0: let me ask you this and then i want to get back to the film but i wonder about the intelligence communities because it seems as though they have spent the last 40 years as what's really running the government yeah. and running the world on someone else's agenda. And I think that what Trump meant with America first, obviously, unless you're in Hollywood, is that the needs of our country should be looked after by our country's leader rather than continuing to work for this global, like multilateral goal that with countries whose priorities we don't share.
1: And it's interesting because that's that's absolutely true. And you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist or wear a tinfoil hat to understand this. Like I might veer personally to some pretty um, some things pretty people might think are a little nutty, but it's because I've I've seen so much that I actually do. You know, I I believe what I believe. But the point is, is that, look, if you just look at it like this, even on the people are corruptible. People as individuals are corruptible. It is so rare to find somebody that's not corruptible. I mean, it's, you know, I, everyone deals with this. And so even when you look at, um, look at what happened, you know, Again, the the Trump administration is the best thing that could have possibly happened to our government. But even within that, we have issues with, um, okay, so a bunch of political appointees come off the campaign. They get hired at State Department like myself, let's say as an example. Um, What happens when they're all littered within State Department in their offices and they're the the one political in an office of, you know, 200 to 400 careers, you know, who are 99.9% Democrat, whatever. These people have seen um, administrations come and go. They know what to do to these people. One of the things they do is they go, oh, you got to get out to post. You have to get out to the embassies. You got to see this. They fly them out on the country's dime on some. If it's not the State Department plane, whatever. They get out there. They treat them like kings. They roll out the red carpet. They go to dinners they've never been to before with dignitaries. They act like they're important. They treat, you know, they they fluff their egos. And then uh-huh. you find six months later, you're talking to a friend of yours from the campaign, and you're bitching about, you know, how much waste and money is being spent, and you're doing this or doing that, and they're like. You know, you're like, well, we got to we got to figure out what to do with this. And they're like, oh, well, I'd love to meet up with you guys, but I'm going to go um, to this conference in Brussels next week. And, um, you know, it's really important. And then they start posting pictures of themselves at conferences where they're they're working on affirming the transatlantic relationship. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, snap out of it. Like, you're supposed to be. And that's taxpayers paying for all that. Huh? Yeah. The taxpayers taxpayers paying. paying for it all. And then these are and these are even so if that's happening even to our guys, you know, and that didn't, there's there's a lot of people that stayed strong and that didn't, you know, they didn't drink the Kool-Aid, they didn't go native on us and, and fought the whole way. And I, I have really great friends and, and great, great people I don't even, you know, know in the admin that did that. But at the same time, there was an awful lot of people who were either half-assed about the agenda in the first place or got corrupted in there. I mean, a lot of these people they're going in there and you know, they were, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, but let's say they're bartenders before that, okay? You've got sure. bartenders who then join the campaign, which is great and they should do that and that's amazing, and then they get some cush government job and they have a secretary and a wooden desk and a and a view of the Washington Monument and they're getting flown to Brussels on a plane and a and they've got a motorcade and they're doing all this crap. They're like, "Holy shit, this is the this is like the best thing's I've ever been." Like, I'm not going to toss this Apple cart over. I'm not going to like cancel our america's um uh you know participation in xyz conference about transatlantic yada yada because because i like going to that conference every year and you know i like the 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 way people treat me when they think i'm important and that the reason i bring up that silly little bit of an example is because on the, the wider scale that's what it is that's all it is that's why dc um, insulates itself with this veil of power and money because they're the same way. All human nature is the same. It's not, you know, it's more sophisticated. It's a little bit more, you know, you've got your lobbyists and your this and that. It's a little bit more, I know, different a, on, for different people. But that that corruptible nature. And I'm not saying that the Trump appointees that you know decided that it was easier to not turn over the apple cart and to sort of get along. And frankly, there was a lot of people like that in leadership so that if you did knock over the apple cart, you are very likely to get fired by your own team. Um, there's a reason that not a lot of people did that. And I totally get that. But that's the corruptible nature. And that times 2000 is what you've got with DC. The intelligence community has a very special little, you know, black credit card that they like to have, and they get to feel powerful and important and and not to mention extremely wealthy. There's a lot of money moving around in that world. Um, by doing these, by by keeping their 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 stranglehold on the country. And of course they're not serving the American interest. People laugh. People in DC laugh at the needs and um and the the priorities of the American people. They think that they are they think they're stupid. And that was one of the most horrible things. I mean, that pissed me off every day. When I was in DC, um, you know, I I actually I really have a fondness for the people I worked alongside um, when I was volunteering for the Trump campaign in 2016. Like, I'll never forget that. They're the most honest, hardworking people. And I tried to remember them every single day in in D.C. Because they didn't have the opportunity to go work for the administration. They would have loved to do that. Like, the the, the people I worked for, some of the women I worked with, they would have killed to work in this administration. They looked like a great job. But, you know, not a lot of people can, like, up and leave and move to a new town and, uh you know, jump into a political administration, but anyway, rant again. You got to send me a bill after this.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, corruptible on all levels, and that's that's what happens. And and in in addition to you know worse things, the the other so angle two, right? Of the pre the the Flynn thing and and why the intelligence community and the powers that be acted the way they did. There's the, the the greed and the power hungriness and the the desire to just, they hate dissent. The idea that America is a place where you can have two opinions and <clears throat> fight them out to the best one. No, they just want to silence us. They don't want any other opinions. They want a one party country where they never have to ask anybody for permission to do anything. The other thing is, the real fear is that they don't want anybody to know what they've been doing for 40 yeah. years. For 20 years, for 10 years, they don't want anybody like a Michael Flynn who knows way, way, way too much to be allowed to be the National Security Advisor. There is a reason that they targeted him specifically. It was of the utmost urgency that they get rid of him. Um, you know, they could fry everybody else later. Like they could, they could get around. You notice, like they're they're not they're not um, they're not attacking Mike Pence. They're not attacking. You know, um, uh, Reince Priebus. You know, um, they're going after Mike Flynn because to them he was very dangerous. He he was the person who would have been in the exact position to discover, um, even just as one example of, of which there's gazillions, the unmaskings. And what ended up happening, um, as we say in the movie, as we point out by first person sources, a handful of days after Michael Flynn was, um, was resigned from the White House, um, his staff, a member of his staff, uncovered the unmaskings. So all of this, I mean, when anybody says to me, oh, well, they weren't afraid of Michael Flynn, like he, he was actually in trouble. You're like, well, how come it was his direct, like most, you know, one of his, it wasn't KT uh, McFarland, his, his deputy, but it was a person who was very, very close with him um, and, a, uh, and one of his staff that discovered, you know, Ezra Cohen, who discovered the, um, the unmaskings and and then that's how the whole ball gets rolling the discovery of the discovery of these unmaskings which it does tell you why they were so afraid of him because they didn't get him out fast enough he already had his team in there and who was able to discover part of their plot and that's what the, that's the thread right that's the ball of yarn that's the thread that comes off first the discovery that Ezra made of these unmaskings the ball of thread of yarn just rolls then at that point you know, to the Nunes team who then hires cash Patel. We can talk about cash. Um, and the, the, the the unraveling of the entire Russiagate hoax and the entire Obama administration, DNC plot to undo the Donald Trump presidency is exposed by this one thread found by this one guy.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that part, because I think that it's obvious that Hillary knew that Obama knew and that Biden knew. And of course, obviously the FBI and the intelligence services and military brass knew the fact that all three of them knew in the lead up to the election and never said anything is in itself proof of sedition. I mean, it's, That is proof enough. The fact that they didn't say all of the things that they knew in the lead up to the election meant that they were perfectly happy to level these charges on Donald Trump in order to win the election. They didn't come out and tell the American people, no, the Steele dossier is not real. Like, we know that the primary subsource is someone who was marked as a Russian agent by the FBI 12 years ago or whatever it was. They knew all that. And the fact that they didn't say that makes it obvious that they were trying to steal the election in 2016.
1: Yeah, which makes you ask, so if they're trying to steal the election in 2016 and then trying to undo the presidency the whole time, now we're supposed to believe that the 2020 election was totally normal? Really? Um, But anyway, no, what you're saying is totally true. And I'd go farther and say that... um, not only did they not say anything and that they knew about it, I mean, this was their doing, this was their, this was their operation. I mean, you don't even have a guy like James Comey just fly off the handle and do an op to take out the national security advisor by himself. Even a guy like him doesn't do that. You know, who's telling him what to do, who's telling Brennan what to do. I mean, granted Brennan, I would even say that guy is so wretched and power hungry and freaky I mean, what a freak these people are. It's the other thing. Have you ever noticed that like these people are just creepy and weird? Like there's something about these like power hungry snakes. They're just awful anyway. But, um, uh, a guy like that, even I don't think does this without the overhead of the president and the vice president and the, uh, and, and, you know, Hillary, as far as the DNC, the DNC is not making a move without Hillary and Podesta signing off on it. That doesn't happen. I mean, uh, You know, funnily enough, in our campaign uh, stuff, uh, I say that, you know, 2016 and now it's so it's like so Wild West that, like, you could, you know, kind of see something, uh, people going rogue like that, but not not the DNC like that doesn't happen. Um, And um, the very uh, fact that I mean, it's the most frustrating thing in the world and it's the most frustrating thing to talk about because people it becomes like a tired talking point, but you really can't say it enough that what they do is. Whatever they're doing that they want to cover up, that's what they accuse you of.
0: Yeah, it's so true. It's so weird.
1: And I'm like, who are these people? Why do they want to do that? Why? Why can't they just stop? Can they ever just like, just have an actual fight? Can we just fight it out about policy? Do they always have to do some spooky, weird under the current behavior where it turns out they're buying stuff from a Russian spy, and so they're gonna, you know claim that the president is in his campaign was related, is, is connected to Russians. I mean, that's the thing is that it really was a mass brainwashing to the entire country. And, um, you know, one of the points, and I, again, not to go all over the place, but like the, when i said, I said this on, I think I, I tried to say this on Tucker, um, I don't know how well I, I do on those regular news shows. I get like it's very awkward. You have only like five seconds to talk, and it's very yeah. you're like in a room by yourself with a camera. But um, but anyway, no. I was trying to say like you know, in addition to the whole country being brainwashed like that, they brainwashed the federal government, the whole were wo- all the workers. Like they people don't understand how many people are in the government. They brainwashed all of them to think that this incoming administration was um, controlled by a foreign enemy or you know a foreign power and uh, not to do anything they said. Like, the administration's been crippled from the very beginning by that. Like, that's dangerous. It's so dangerous. That?
0: What they have like, done to this president, the media included, is the most anti-American thing I've ever seen. Like, they are, co- they have continually tried to compromise an American president for four years, and now they're trying to steal an election. Like, this is the most abhorrent, immoral, anti-American thing that I have ever witnessed. It is beyond my wildest imagination. And the fact that any person can deny this stuff. And like, when you say to them, Hey, you know, this is one of the most important issues of your entire lifetime. Like, don't you think you should consider you might be wrong?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's amazing about this is that they're playing with the natural human, um, psychological, difficulty in looking at themselves and thinking that they're wrong. And that's why it works. Um, You know, when they hear a piece of information that isn't true and they hear it first, they, they, it's so hard to get people to change their mind about it because in that changing of their mind, they have to acknowledge that they believed something that wasn't true. I mean, if there was, if there, if there was just some way to like lift that kind of like embarrassment or shame or whatever, off of people's consciousness and show them the truth it would just i mean i wish there was a way to do that but it's like that's where we are that's why people keep going down their same tunnel vision road um it's It's really, I mean, the media is, it's hard to say. Some days I'm more mad at the intelligence community and some days I'm more mad at the media, but really they're the same thing. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I could be mad at both of them at the same time. Um, But the, they wouldn't have, I, you know, I've said this before too, but it's, it's true. And it's a, it's interesting, you know, um, issue, which is that the, the, these, you know, bad actors and their institutions wouldn't have pulled off such a successful hoax and such a horrible crime to the United States if it wasn't for the media. Because the intel community can do all whatever they want uh, the Justice Department can do whatever it wants as far as persecuting Michael Flynn, harassing various people in the Trump administration, and the campaign, you know, doing all this stuff. But the entire country wouldn't be in the shape that it's in now and completely, you know, half the country totally brainwashed and and the whole thing hating each other if it wasn't for the media. The media is the is, is the nuclear part of that, right? Like the Intel community and the, um, and, and all these terrible things that happened are just like an, uh, you know, they're like a, um, traditional explosive. Whereas when you add the media to that, that's your nuclear bomb. I mean, there's no escaping it.
0: I think they've overplayed their hand, which is really great. Finally. But I want to ask you, so in thinking about what's happening right now, and in the couple months leading up to it, I've been thinking about that moment on election night in 2016 when Podesta came out on the stage and said yeah. that they're not going to be making a statement. They're going to wait until tomorrow. And it's clear to me that what they were doing behind the scenes that night was trying to figure out if there was a way that they could still steal it, even though Donald Trump had beaten them.
1: Yeah, they didn't because ins- they
0: were running the same software. And they were running the same program and they have been for a very long time. And they thought they had that election properly stolen. Enough Trump supporters came out and I'm so grateful to them, but they lost that. And it determined that night that they couldn't fix it. So they decided that they would just bring down the president.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, days, 48 hours later, it was Russia, 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 um, the uh that's absolutely what happened and it's it's amazing that you bring that up because i have been i can't find that clip i haven't looked that hard but i want to find that clip of podesta coming out that was the creepiest thing i saw that night and i remember when i saw that knowing who podesta is knowing how they operate you know fairly well seeing him come out I was in the, uh, the, the victory little, you know, our war room in, in, in Nevada for the 2016 thing. And, and we had the big screen up and I saw him come out and I was like, oh my God, they're actually going to try and do it. They're going to try to stop this. And I was like, I knew it was too good to be true. I know we won, but like, I know they're going to try and do something. And they weren't able to, because I I think you're right, because the numbers overwhelmed their, their rig and And they they didn't have mail-in ballots. Right. And that's another, every single, that's why, I mean, some people are like, oh, why can't we see the proof? And why do you guys keep mentioning all the different kinds of fraud and all this stuff? And you're like, well, they threw, it all they threw everything <laughs> at it. Like they created, I mean, I, again, it's, it's one of these things where were like, yeah, like it's hard to not sound totally nuts when you talk about this, but you're like, how convenient a, virus that that's just like the flu that causes us to have mail-in ballots because people get the sniffles are you joking me and then um you know flood the system and have the software on top of it i mean they were trying everything but that's why you know i mean i still have a lot of optimism and i might sound crazy because i
0: don't think you sound crazy i think it's 100 percent trump wins
1: He's, he's got, um, you know, he's blessed. He has some kind of, um, you know, the way I always tell like the, the sort of positive affirmation I tell my team and the folks here on the ground and the, you know, everybody, everybody has a moment of like darkness, but, um, you know, it wouldn't make sense with the story if we didn't overcome the impossible, right? Yeah. It has to be the impossible. It wouldn't have made sense with the whole, like, you know, the script writer in the sky on this, the narrative would make no sense if we just won an election and, and it was just easy and everything was was normal. It has to be some Herculean task of, of, of you know, revealing The bad guys 10 times over while being victorious. I mean, that's what happens every time the president is in some kind of conflict or battle. It always is like, not only does he win, he has to win over impossible odds and reveal his enemies to be like the horrible people and the thieves and the the liars and whatever it is that they are. He's the revealer, you know? Um, Yeah.
0: It's crazy to me because I talk about what I call the old guard and it's, um, uh, the entertainment industry, the media, the tech companies who want to control us, academia, uh, corporations, public health and China. They all hate Donald Trump. They all refuse to say anything bad about China and all of these people in Hollywood and all of these 40 million or so people who voted for Joe Biden, like, <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. Uh, they all, I didn't mean, I didn't say that to be like, you can clap now like Jeb Bush. <laughs> but uh, clap. like, they all hate the president. They all serve China. And all of these people complain about systems of power, oppressing yeah. others, so and the then align themselves completely with every system of power in the world against America.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's the thing where you're like, I, I again, I kind of blame it back on music and culture where yeah, there's no way it's, it's, it's like they trained people with that. Where if you're listening to music that is sanctioned by and pushed by massive corporations, where if your favorite musician is in the McDonald's commercial and shaking hands with the politician and all that stuff, There's nothing rebellious or edgy or cool or unique about that thing. And so when they started getting people in this like post, you know, post 90s um, cultural moment where there was just nothing but scrubbed, clean, whitewashed um, corporate culture to digest, it prepared them for now where they're walking through the streets saying, I am oppressed by the power system while they walk past a billboard of themselves on, you know, the target, uh, billboard or whatever it is. It's like, no, 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 your protest is sponsored by the corporations. That should give you a clue that you're not actually doing what you think you're doing. Um, and you know, you could take that even wider on That's a, that's, that's a, that's a micro version of it, but it's like, how are you guys thinking that you're on the the other side that they're the the, that, the other thing that drove me nuts? With that was the resist thing where you're like, resist. I you fun guys of that are,
0: all day long.
1: You guys are in line with the FBI and the, um you know, the DNC and all of the other countries pretty much in the world. It's like, OK, so you're resisting what? Like, what are you resisting? It was a president. Yeah, Not I mean, my it, president. <laughs> It's just unbelievable. Like, uh, you talk to these people, even like we said, Okay, so going back to talking to like friends, like people we actually know who, uh, you know, are disowning us for being Trump supporters. And you ask them, like, what is the problem? Like, what is he doing to you? Like, how is your life different? I talked about this. Funnily enough, actually, this is kind of cool. The only friends I had from when I was, um, you know, just doing cultural stuff and wasn't political at all. All my gay friends are still friends with me. If anybody else won't talk to me. But I, I don't know what that means, but I, it's, you know, it's They're doing it
0: on behalf of the gay friends.
1: Right, right, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but we'll be talking and I'll just be, you know, we can at least have political conversations and still be friends, which is amazing. Uh, and they'll be like, well, you know, I mean, he's attacking, it's terrible that you could, you know, support him because he's attacking the LGBT community. And those are your friends. Like, you know, a lot of my friends are, are in the LGBT community, whatever. Um, but I'm saying, you know, I'll say to them like, how, how have you he's the first president that came in that believed in gay marriage before he was president. Like, what are you talking about? What has happened? Where is this like rounding up of the gays that is a It's just on every he single the rainbow
0: down. flag in a room of conservatives while and trying me, to get them to he, vote for him.
1: That's how you know that the left is disingenuous, because in any circumstance, you would think that if the first Republican candidate to wave a rainbow flag during some giant rally that the left would not celebrate thats and and instead attack the person more than any other, that's how you know it's not about what they say it's about. It's just about power. It's just about money. Yeah, Yeah.
0: because otherwise they would want solutions to the problems. But the truth is the problems are what keep them in office. Absolutely. The idea that they haven't been systematically exploiting and defrauding black voters and minority voters in urban communities for decades is is it, i don't know how anyone can believe that no it's they, awful you you cannot retain power while serving people so horrifically for 60 years
1: yeah. without cheating it's impossible no it's people it's are not stupid it's crazy to think that Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really messed up. This is what they do to every single community. I mean, for example, you know, we've got this issue out here in Nevada uh, that people are writing about and talking about. uh, And and it's that the the uh, there's certain groups that were giving people money and and gift cards and things like that to vote and um, to the Native American uh, groups. And you're like, well, that's That's just awful because what you've got there is they're taking advantage of the fact that these people are so poor and so disenfranchised and so um, essentially in like a desperate position, which is what they do to a lot of these underserved communities and a lot of these urban uh, centers is, you know, it's a it's a macro version of that where they're like, you know, vote for us. And, uh, and, and we'll give you a couple of crumbs while we absorb the entire power structure of the United States and, and things that these people can't even fathom. That's what's so crazy is that you're like, you, you want to tell like your average Bernie supporter, like, yeah, of course they'll, they'll sort of give you free stuff. It's pennies compared to what they're actually taking. And, and it's not, it's going to destroy the country. It's not, um, It's not, it's not, it's the fact that they, it's so, um, what's the word? It's so like cynical. It's such a cynical, anti-human, anti, you know, American point of view. It's just, it's dark and it's cynical to just give people crumbs in order to stay in power and retain and retain that as opposed to actually want to solve the problems, actually want people to be self-reliant and independent and able to take care of themselves um, you know, that's not the same as saying like, oh, everybody's got to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and all this stuff. You know, I, I do also see why that boomer line gets really annoying because of, you know, the, the, the nature of the economic realities people are living in now. But the, there's, a, there's just such a stark difference between like, here, I'll give you an allowance to live on versus like, uh, you know, I, I want to just leave me alone and let me attack the economy and get what I can out of it myself. That's, I mean, that's, I'm so frustrated with that, with this Corona thing and and all of that. I mean, we haven't even gone near that, but that's, that's just the darkest thing I've ever seen pulled on humanity is, is the shutdowns. It's just so messed up.
0: And it's not scientific. Not at all. That's even worse. Like they are telling us how to live without any legitimate basis. They're just telling us what they and I
1: mean, that's the scary thing. The scary thing about that is not that it that the politicians did it and that they tried to do it. The scary thing about that is how much people went along with it, because I think even if people snap to it and they're like, you know, no, this is weird. This is messed up. I don't I don't want to shut my country down again. Um, Somebody said this out here and it was the best thing I've heard uh, to describe it, which is that the whole mask thing was such a good visual gauge for the powers that be to see how much they could get away with just by saying something on television, to see how much behavioral change they could get, to see how in line the entire world would get just by putting out this message on the media.
0: Because that's it really all really is sick.
1: If you didn't have a television or a radio and and you just you know, lived your life, if, if, if you lived as though it was like, you know, um, 75 years ago, even, and you just didn't really interact with the media that much, uh, you would have no idea that you would just continue li- There would be no difference in your life between, um, you know, January and now, like there would be nothing. It just wouldn't happen. Maybe somebody would get sick. Maybe, maybe, maybe you might run into somebody that actually an older person that actually died from a very strong case of like the flu. um, But otherwise, no one would know the difference. No one would. This is an entirely. And that's what I said about Russiagate. This is a media created crisis. And Russiagate was a media created coup. And right now, the election, the thing that we're in right now, there is nothing real about the results that they're announcing. It is a media created. I mean, Mm -hmm. takeover. It's 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 an absolutely it only exists in the reality of the TV. It's the craziest thing. It's, it's, a. I mean, I didn't, I, I have to say, I mean, it's, it's even myself, like, I mean, two weeks into this, you wake up and you're like, this is the craziest thing I could have ever expected to see in my life. I mean, it's just, it's just insane.
0: It really is. Let me ask you this. Okay. Because I think one of the things that people have a hard time with is that they can't understand how so many people and so many moving parts could be working in unison toward a common goal without everybody finding out. And they think that if they think that if this stuff is real, the news would have told them. And I hear that actually a lot yeah. from, from liberals. They're like, well, if, if the Biden laptop is real, why is the news saying that it isn't?
1: I know. I hear well, that. It's because so they're pro-
0: lying to you.
1: No, it's, it's so crazy because I I mean, I didn't believe the media like 10 years ago. Like, you, just, you find these people sure. that are still sitting there going like, oh, well, I feel like if it was true, there would have been something. But I mean, as far as the moving parts thing, the thing that I always like try to explain to people is that it's not like somebody had to sit there and draw a map and like tell them, OK, this is all part of the conspiracy. You're going to do this role. You're going to do that. No, they actually believe what they're doing it's much easier to do a coup and to do all this stuff against a president, for example, in the Russiagate um, situation, when just they, they, I don't, I, I think only very few of them knew how false it was. And the majority of people actually, they liked this story because it made sense to them. Because what really didn't make sense to them is that they had lost and that there was such a thing as, again, like we've seen recently the 70-plus million Americans that like Donald Trump and want an America First agenda, they can't believe that. So it's easier for them to believe what they need to believe in order to, to accomplish this coup. Um, and, I, you know, people say, what, what's the phrase? I can't remember what it is, but it's like it's in their interest to not know something. If it's in someone's financial yes. interest yes. to not know something, they won't know it. I mean, that's that's it. Up and down the court. That's that's what it is. Um the media, on the other hand, I mean, I can see how it works, even like on like a, on a small scale. Because look at what's happening to the right wing media right now. I mean, I'm reaching out to people that I've talked to for years about, you know, because I did, I've done press in one way or another for for a long time. Um, and I'm and there are even, you know, a lot of people that I've I've been very close with that have been very supportive of the president most of the time, they're even coming away from this going like, well, oh crap, what's gonna happen if, you know, we, you know, how 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 is this gonna affect my life? How is this gonna affect our bottom line? Like, um, it's it's really crazy. We're really seeing a media blackout of the truth right now. And um and you can imagine that just times two thousand on on the scale of the left where they're they're just they're, they have a job to do. And it's to convince the entire world that something happened that didn't necessarily happen, meaning Biden winning the election.
0: It is crazy. So. But they'll say, like, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. And it's like it's not a theory at all. Yeah, it's, it's just a conspiracy. Thing. And like I'm, the that's word one conspiracy of the actually has a definition and it yeah. doesn't mean crazy people over there. Sure.
1: Yes. There's nothing wrong with the phrase conspiracy theory, especially <laughs> when it's true. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I guess again, similar to how I'm like, OK, I'm sick of people, the conservatives whining in Hollywood and not standing up for who they really are. I'm sick of people who know better, not telling the truth because it sounds crazy, because that's what makes. That's what makes and, and for criticizing people that are more on the fringe that uh, perceived by the left or by the mainstream media to be more on the fringe than them. You know, I can't tell you how how many times I was uh, criticized by my more establishment <clears throat> connections and friends. Um, you know, cuz I kind of make a point to be friends with everybody. Like I, I I try not to get into the factions on the right and like take sides on all the the mm-hmm. influencers versus the regular campaign people and da da da. But um the uh the, the I can't tell you how much I get criticized for for some of the more fringe folks that I'm very very good friends with that I interact with and do 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 stuff with and it's like we all actually agree on what's going on here. It's the it's the responsibility of the more mainstream voices to talk about this because off the air, they know it's real. And they're talking to me all the time and I'm on the phone with these people and they know damn, damn well that this is absolutely what's going on right now. Um, the, the, the theft of this election is so crazy. The idea that Fox news would, would cut away from a press conference where the evidence is actually being laid out only to tell their audience that there's no evidence. I mean, I just... There is no media left. All we have are the social media, um, new citizen investi- investigative journalists, people like people like yourself doing um, long-form podcasts, um, people that are reporting on the ground. That's all we have, which is why they're trying to cut people down so quickly, cut down the new voices and deplatform people. I mean, it, it everyone's heard it a million times, but it's so, so important. I really think that's the thing, is that, you know, the... I don't know who we want to call. That's always the thing is they're like, who's the they? The bad guys, the they, the the blog, whatever it is, the powers that be. I think they were winning for a long time. And I think that, frankly, what really put the people ahead um, of, of these, whatever you want to think of it. If, if in some cases it's foreign countries, in some cases it's the, you know, embedded bureaucracy, Intel, et cetera, et cetera, depending on the issue you're talking about, the internet actually catapulted the will of the people forward, just the same as, um, kind of the founding of America did. It's like, it's like the second most important thing where it, it, it democratized information. And, and that that's, it's why they're constantly attacking it. Why they're constantly attacking free speech? It's what keeps us one step ahead.
0: I think that they lost the race, of, like in 2016, and didn't realize it because one thing that I've talked about on the podcast before is that the internet hive mind is smarter than the Democratic Party. It's smarter yeah. than the media, hive- and it's smarter than the intel communities. Yes, like, we do research faster than they can because we have millions of people helping us and telling us whether we're right or wrong, like immediately or adding on new information and then new people read it and find their own stuff to add on. And it's a marketplace of ideas where the best ideas really do rise to the top. And we are outpacing them at every turn. Like we know what is going to happen already because we already see the information and we know how there's no way it's not getting out. Yeah. Like they know that they're done for. This is like death throes of this whole corrupt machine. Yes. And I really just feel most sad and disappointed with the people in my life that aren't able to see this. Because if you can't separate fiction from reality and you can't make the proper judgment on the most important issues of your life, you're not a smart person. There's nothing else that smart could mean.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, you know, I gotta say, I think, I feel like that's like the most that, that really hits the nail on the head. That's the, that's the uplifting thing that I think about. And that actually makes me that it makes me have a lot of faith and a lot of, um, you know, optimism, uh, in, in what would normally be a very dark time and a, um, you know, and I just, I don't mean just this year. I mean, in general kind of seeing what, what these, these bad forces in the world are, are, are attacking the good. Um, and I, and it's that it's that the intelligent people, um, are always going to see this and they're, they're going to be out in front of it. And it's so true that, 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 that this is the death throes and they can be some nasty death throes. That's the sure. thing is just because the snake is almost dead doesn't mean it can't still, you know, kill a few people on its way down. And again, it's the cornered Cobra, That's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's the cornered cobra, and these people, um, you know, they do know that. They do know that this is the risk to them. And and twenty sixteen. That's why twenty sixteen still feels so good is because you had Brexit, you had Trump, you had all of these amazing moments where. Where you got the feeling that you weren't alone, that you and your group of like-minded people were actually the majority, and um, and that was all over the world, and and it makes sense because I mean people want the same things. They want to be able to take care of their families. They want independence and freedom, and um, you know they want self determination, and it's it's uh, and they it's,
0: don't want to be told they're assholes and racists all day,
1: right? I mean it's it's so that was such a predictable thing. I remember being. Um, being a kid or like a middle in middle school and, you know, you always got, you know, uh, there was all this kind of half-assed social justice, um, education going on and, and you learned about, you know, like the, the history of the past and all these things. And I remember, um, thinking like, you know, the worst thing you can be called in this country is a racist and and it's good reason. It's for totally good reason because actual racism is actually bad. Um, but to see people dilute the meaning of that into nothing, it's so crazy. Again, it reminds me again, like the institutions, like the FBI, like the intelligence community, they hurt their own potency. They hurt their own legitimacy where you're like, it doesn't mean anything to be called racist anymore because they call everybody racist. So you just gave racism, like the freedom to roam the world free. It's so weird where you're like, you look at like, You know, the the United States was doing pretty well. Like, look at the '90s. Like, look at like uh, you know the the period of time where people were pretty much uh, you know getting along, things were good. Um, And and it's the same thing as like I said. It's it's this weird like self-destructive quality to these ideas and institutions where like, um, you know, the the FBI, for example, is going to do all kinds of corrupt, horrible, illegal, anti-American things and then whine that the president or Trump supporters uh, call them out and don't like it. It's like they've destroyed their own ideas. Like uh, it's 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 very weird. It's it's a really um, again, it's it's that it, I just it. Once you're on the other side of it, you can't see back the other way. I can't even imagine what it's like yes. to look like them.
0: I know, I know. And I really do though, I really do believe this is the end and I don't see this as a dark time. Like I every day feel like we are one step closer to just a so much better world. And I think that artistically we're on the verge and, and culturally, uh, we're on the verge of an American Renaissance. Yeah. And I am so excited for that. And so I, we're like hitting an hour and a half now. I um, and I don't want to like prevent you from having dinner. You've been working all day. No, so no, no. Uh, But, but yeah. let's just spend a, like a couple of minutes and then we can wrap up. But I, I really want to talk to you about what the future of Hollywood is going to be. Because I think that everything is like we were just talking about with the information on the internet. Everything is decentralizing right now. Yes. We are finding that we can make careers, for instance, like uh, Matt Taibbi, right? Yeah. He used to write for Rolling Stone and then he was writing for this or that publication. And then he went ahead and created his own Substack, And now he's probably got tens of thousands of listeners paying him $5 a month for that. Yeah. And he's probably more financially successful than ever. And he has all the creative freedom he has ever wanted to do the kind of journalism he wants to do. And he's an excellent journalist. And I see that happening in so many places. Like you put your movie out on Vimeo and, uh, the decentralization of these arts, there's no reason why a movie studio can't start. And I think that they are already in Texas and cater to, uh, production, funding sources and artists who want nothing to do with this. Like we imagine that this Hollywood community is the end goal of everything. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. They need to shake the, the, this idea of Hollywood needs to just be shook from people's minds because first of all, the idea of Hollywood uh, existed at the time because Los Angeles was the ideal place for the film industry to be for various legal reasons um, that have to do with the, um, I think it was was it Kodak or was it so there was a there was a lawsuit on the East Coast that basically made it is the actual reason why Hollywood is based in hollywood I know I should know this, but film school was a long time ago um but, <laughs> but, but that, I don't that, know it so. It's like a fun fact trivia thing. But then also you had, you know, the other reason was Los Angeles was centrally located to every kind of climate. You had the beach, you had the desert, you had mountains, forest, all within a handful of hours. The uh, Then that just built the industry. You had a lot of land, a lot of orange fields like that uh, could easily be made into, you know, movie lots. Anyway those things are not uh important anymore you can do everything off of uh phone calls and uh flying in for meetings you don't even need to necessarily meet with anybody in los angeles because there's lawyers there's um there's um in there's uh financers and there's distribution everywhere so um i actually was before I joined the Trump administration, that I was meeting with people who I ended up working with on this in Texas to start a movie studio in Texas, a production company that I basically now have finally created. I, I created my production company just to make plot against the president. But as it turns out, there is a really large need for good quality content um, that isn't influenced by politics on the left and, uh, you know, that doesn't suck. Um, so I'm keeping the production company. It's in Virginia and we've got a lot of stuff on the horizon. There's a lot of, we're going to do cool stuff. I mean, I keep telling people it's sort of going to be like, um, you know, the A24 or the like Annapurna of the right, but it's not even necessarily that it's just of the right. It's just cool movies that aren't held back by an agenda. Um, so I think that's important, I basically think people just need to shake this idea that the left is keeping them from making movies. It's the same thing that really you would tell anybody that wants to make movies or make anything. which is that you're not going to ever get a golden invitation from the Oscars that says, please make your film and here's the money and here's how you do it. You got to go raise the money. And, um, and whether that's crowdfunding or finding like-minded investors or whatever it is, go raise the money and, and make the movie. Don't be, don't be extravagant. Don't, um, don't, you know, spend money on things you don't need. And, and you can you can get it out there. There's no reason not to at this point. Um, yeah, we put it out on Vimeo uh, on demand initially, but that's actually that's because we meant to, we had it ready for Amazon the same day, but they sat on it for 12 days. Um, shocking. Yeah, shocking. Uh, and now it's their number one documentary. And I mean, I you can't you can't see the. Um, you know, the numbers on other movies, uh, it's hard to sort of guess, but I would be very curious to see where it is in their, um, their actual just top 20 uh, of all movies right now. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's no need to to be, you have to just do it yourself. It's, it's this thing where you just got to shake the idea that there's like some, that Hollywood is going to bestow something on you where you're allowed to exist. I mean, it is, you know, while saying that it is, it is still the case that you're not going to get the same kind of press you're going to get attacked if anything if there's anything slightly controversial about your movie or that doesn't fit in but um you have to just be okay with that you can't whine about it you have to be okay with being attacked you have to be okay with having a hard time getting a platform until you know until you do they are out there um one thing i would mention is that the, the that's
0: actually just the process that everyone used to have to go to through for, for the film. idea it, Yeah, The idea that one day you were just going to wake up famous is now pervasive throughout the culture. And that's, first of all, not the point, Yeah, but second of all, not something that's probably going to happen to you. So you're going to have to go ahead and work. And it's this, it's the, the entitlement is a form of narcissism. And I think that that's kind of what informs and infects the, the DC community as well, because everybody imagines that they are, are so important and so right and so morally justified and so smart that everyone who disagrees with them is not. And that is where they have overestimated their opposition again and again and again. And it's ultimately going to be their downfall.
1: And that's, just, that's true on the right and the left. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, we, we don't even have oh, to get sure. into the fact that we obviously... The establishment you know, right. The right. establishment right is fucking terrible. Like, I, I I spend more of my days angry at them than the left most of the time. But um, the other thing is, um, yeah, I mean, that that is... Uh, it's also just you know we need to tell good stories it's not about i had a political idea and therefore i'm going to make a book or a movie and, and 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 all that i mean that's fine too and i'm I'm glad that a lot of that stuff exists but you know you're not the story the story is is is, is more important than the person making it so if you're not willing to sacrifice everything and have your life destroyed to get this story out then you're not the right person to tell it. Um, And it's, there's gotta be, you know, there's gotta be more um, people have to be brave when it comes to this stuff and they, and they have to just, you know, um, find a way. I mean, we, there's, there's, and then, like I said, to contradict myself, to be fair, there is still a problem with these distribution platforms because they do have the ultimate say. So they are the easy, you know, getting people to turn on Vimeo was really difficult. They can't turn it on. They they can't watch it from their TV on their couch most of the time because Vimeo doesn't have a deal with Roku and most people have Rokus. And, you know, there's all this stuff that makes it harder to get your message out there. And it is a hundred gazillion percent true that once Amazon finally did put the movie up, it was a hit overnight and everybody could see it and everybody, you know, it, it lit fire. So, and, and they haven't taken it down. So, I have to say, we, we do still have issues with that. Either these platforms have to be made to um, be reasonably um, unbiased as far as politics go, which is really not, we haven't really succeeded at that even on social media at all, um, or we need to be able to support these other kinds of platforms that are going to be free speech friendly. I mean, we put the movie out on purpose for about a weekend, in advance on these two platforms, one's called SpecialProject.io, and the other one's called My Movies Plus, which both launched with the movie. But they are every every long form content creator should go check them out and should put. I mean, there's there's no loss to it. Put your movie or whatever your content is out on those platforms as well. It's subscription platforms. They are free speech friendly. They're not going to take anything down. You, they've arranged their legal uh, requirements in such a way that. Um, you, the creator, take on all the responsibility, uh, which is great. And um and and those there's you've got to support stuff like that. I mean, the other thing is conservatives have to put their money where their mouth is. Like, I can't tell you how many people were wigging out that the movie before it was free on Amazon Prime, which by the way, at least we made it free on Amazon Prime. Most conservative movies don't do that. Um, but um when when it wasn't, when it was just pay buy and rent. They were just like, where can I get a free copy of this? And like the even like the Q community or whatever, they were just like ripping it and sharing it amongst themselves like crazy, like, oh, it's being censored. We have to get the word out like uh, and you're like, I would love to release it for free. I owe like movie making is like a uh, it's like any business you take out loans against what hopefully is a successful product and then you pay it back. Like, it's like, there's so many people were like, Oh, they're just trying to get rich off of this. And you're like, well, I'm doing a really, really bad job if that's the case. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, we need to be able to like, you know, the left is really good at boycotting what they don't like and funding what they do. The right needs to be more about that. We need to be promoting more of this stuff. Frankly, also, you know, not to be an ungrateful, uh, little brat, but Where's all of the big money donors on the right? And why aren't they putting their money towards culture? They need, we need, we need, you know, where's all these benefactors that you you see on the left promoting all kinds of anti-American crap? Like, you know, any such functional production company, not just my own, but there's there's others that ought to be funded so that we can take a risk. And you know, again, I'm I'm actually looking at this more as a producer than a director. I had no intention of ever directing again. Actually, it was just kind of an accident. Um, I intend to produce a lot of movies that um, that are that are you know in this vein, really, uh, hopefully, very impactful and 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 cool. Um, but, you know, I want to be able to take risks on weirder projects and, and, you know, things that are of all different sizes. And in order to do that, it's like, you know, we need our, our, our folks that, that support these things that are spending gazillions of dollars on failed candidates, um, put a little bit of that money in culture and watch the entire country change.
0: You know, I think that people, I think people on the right, the kind that you're talking about right now have just felt defeated in too many ways by the Hollywood thing. They don't think it's worth it. They think they have to work with Hollywood to be Mm -hmm. able to produce something. And then that won't work because Hollywood won't want it. It's like, no, we really have to, we have to bootstrap ourselves and be like, no, we are doing this because this is what's right.
1: And we have the audience. That's what the craziest Exactly, exactly.
0: The market is there now. Yeah. And let me just say this though, because I think that people are really underestimating how powerful the market is on our side. Like we think that Facebook and Google and Twitter are immovable objects. I'm not convinced that's true. I am not convinced that Facebook and Twitter are gonna exist in three months because they have overstepped big time. Yeah. Zuckerberg put $400 million into buying this election. And I'm not overstating that at this point. He was paying for election judges and the apparatus in these big cities that Mm -hmm. just did all this. LeBron James is with more than a vote, which is underneath rock the vote and rock the vote has direct access direct ballot access they're able to add registrants to the rolls in states all around this country and then you got lebron james opening these big voting centers at stadiums and arenas for just released felons to vote and i'm not making any of that up which is the craziest thing right. and i actually right. have crazier th- things that i can tell you about that offline but uh, but i really think that like we are go- like parlor for instance yeah All it takes to get one of those as big as these other companies is for people to just simply migrate because all we care about on these apps is the community there. We don't actually care about the app and we don't even like the app. We know that it's taking from us all the time that we are the, the product, not the consumer. And all we have to do is consciously just change. And it's so
1: easy yeah it's um it it is i mean it's it's complicated in the the social media thing because I think the left obviously has no reason to abandon Twitter because they get their ass kissed on Twitter and they don't the, anything they say they're allowed to threaten Sorry. kill anybody they want, and then their enemies are silenced, so why wouldn't the left love Twitter? um Part of the reason that we like social media is to argue with people and get our points across and um for me, I'm a huge fan of Parler and we use it all the time with the movie and with the, I, I, I'm i everybody I know was early, early adopters of Parler. I met the CEO actually um, at the White House at the social media conference uh, that I was able to work on um, back in like 2018, 20. I think it was 2019. Um, and it's a really, really, really absolutely fundamental thing. And they're going to start attacking him soon. They have let them like they think that they've had, you know, attacks before now that there is this sort of recent wave with the election of way more people migrating over, they are going to get really, really attacked. Um, but I think they're, they're they're ready for it. But that's the only thing that I would find is that sometimes, you know, I want that, I want that fight, you know, check
0: this out though. Give me two seconds on this. And I want to see what you think about this in, in that context. So I believe that at the moment, Twitter takes down Donald Trump's account. Mm -hmm. Trump will go right to parlor and all of a sudden Twitter dries up because Trump's the number one show in town. And if the journalists want to see Trump's tweets and Trump's not there anymore, the journalists are going to follow right over to parlor and they're going to have a real different experience. And, and, Those opinions are going to change real fast. Like, I think that that's one of the many Trump cards that still remains for him. He is breaking these systems in half. The media is broken. The media as it stands is never coming back. New York times, CNN are done. Twitter. As soon as they do that, they're done. Yeah. Like the colleges are done. Everybody's realized that they can get the same education on YouTube. They don't need to pay all that money for some paper credential that the colleges are actually participating in the destruction of our country. And as soon as conservatives start hiring people that didn't go to those schools, yeah, no one cares anymore about their little degrees. Like all of these systems are going to break apart as soon as we use our market power. And I'm looking yeah. at you and thinking you might have to go.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm- oh, okay harassed by my um, my fellows are, are getting a little loose because it's Saturday. And I guess I don't know what nice. they're doing But uh, the, the whole <laughs> way has become more populated outside my door. Um, no, I agree with what you're saying. I think that, that I didn't actually think about that uh, switch of if the president goes over to parlor, all the journalists are going to have to go there if they want to continue attacking him. Um, I wonder if that's a thing. I mean, that that is the most um, convincing that's the most convincing idea. I mean, that would really, that is a, that is a good back pocket card that he has. And I, I think it is true on every single, um, and and it's not just that the right is going to win or that it's going to be like, Oh, the right is going to our, our right wing versions of whatever they create. It's, just getting back to the honest versions. Right. That's all that that will be appealing no matter what. Which and and in that you can apply that to anything. You can apply that to like a social media platform, but also just making movies that are good that aren't impacted by a political agenda. Like and again, I say that after coming off of making a very political movie, but really. Um, that's, that's what people want. And, and music that's not impacted by a stupid corporate leftist agenda. I mean, that thing, that just drives me. I don't know how people think that they're cool.
0: I think Cardi B is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> well, no, the Chinese Communist Party is the worst thing in the, the world. And Chinese then, Communist and War. then maskies. Yeah. Then it's
1: the maskies. Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. But, um, but no, I think that that's, I think that's totally true. And I mean, we really do need to just create, you know, just, just, it's, it's, it, again, it's, it's, we're in a really unique time. I think you're right to be optimistic about some of the stuff you were saying. I mean, it is, it is a cool time. It's to me, I guess I feel like it has to get, it's going to get crazier and in some ways worse before it gets better, but the better is going to be really, really good. I just hope that, you know, uh, this isn't exactly what I'm referring to. Now I'm just joking and being cynical, but that the uh, the hot war comes before I'm too old to enjoy it. Uh, so I would like that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really mean that Twitterverse or internet world. I'm not actually advocating for, you know, the revolution, but you know, it would be fun to watch and make movies about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm hoping against hope that it doesn't come to that point. I actually, I see ways out of this without that. Yeah. And I have a lot of faith that they're going to happen. Um, but yeah, I think that once we, once we realize that we are not subjects of this system that yeah. they have imposed, then everything just gets brighter. Like I but they're gonna came grab, out,
1: we're going to hold on tighter. I mean, that's the thing. That's what I say. A hundred percent, but
0: I think that that's almost yeah, done yeah. and we do have the advantage. Like ultimately you know, I came out supporting Trump in Hollywood and that was a factor. That that <laughs> happened. That change for me happened in the course of 5 months. And that, that was just because of COVID. How did it
1: happen? How did that how did that well, happen?
0: Well, I I'll tell you quickly just cuz I've said it on the podcast a bunch of times, but after 2016, I was like, "Wow. I was really embarrassingly wrong cuz I was certain that Hillary Hillary was going to win and I realized that that what i was informed about and extremely well informed about was the narrative not reality i knew everything about the narrative and as soon as hillary won or lost i was like oh wow what have i been missing and i was like i got to start reading some you know conservative outlets to try to figure out like why i was wrong and so that led me to like national review which led me to various other things and i was still pretty much I, you know, I got rid of my democratic affiliations in my registration. I was inde I'm independent still. And, uh, I was kind of just like a national review, like centrist middle of the road, like maybe a little bit right on some things left on some things very open. But once I saw COVID happen and once I realized that wow. the Democrat, that the Democrat power system was absolutely lying to us and that so was the public health system, because I was on Twitter following like world experts, statisticians, all these people that were saying this is not at all what they're telling us. And I'd even listened to podcasts by like Sam Harris, yeah. whose guests, whose guests had said everything that COVID was in March. And it's still the same now. Yeah. And that narrative hit me before this media narrative. And I was like, all of this is bullshit. Yeah, And then I started listening to Trump every day at the press conferences and I was like, what if this guy isn't lying? And I just kept listening and I was like, holy shit, this guy tells the truth all the time.
1: And we're just being told
0: he's lying by the people that lied to us.
1: And isn't that the craziest thing that they do to cover up stuff where they just point at somebody and they go, oh, it's lies. I mean they do that with yeah. my movie too where they're just like like the dumb people that uh, after the president retweeted it there's you know it's gotten like totally review bombed by like stupid people but it still hasn't it still hasn't dented us but they'll you can tell their comments cuz it'll always be like this is just lies and you're like okay what's a lie what is untrue like I I, watch. I legally couldn't put it out if it was all lies so it's not lies like what is a lie? Like it's like literally based on like declassified transcripts. Um, it's just insane. But so, but no. I mean, what you're saying is um, is really interesting. That you had this moment. Like I just, I think that it's true. A lot more people are going to be having that. And I think the COVID thing. I think you're right. I think they push people too far because um, I I just can't imagine it. But I, I, it's true. I've met a ton of people who got red pilled by COVID, and yeah. and saying that like this is totally crazy i mean a lot of people i work with are recent converts to to the whole thing and they're just like yeah no that was ridiculous this is the craziest thing i've ever seen they did they 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 think they won with that because they could see their little all their minions their armies of masked people you know i'm in vegas right now walking through a casino and you see these masked weirdos like walking in the middle and it's just it's so bizarre but um Uh, but yeah, I think, I think they did overplay their hand and that's actually, that's, that's the beautiful thing about this is that these evil people, we don't actually, you know, all we have to do is give them enough rope and they will hang themselves and we just need to be there when it happens. It's true
0: because the incompetence is astounding. Like, yeah, they weren't They're They're just continually not able to pull this stuff off, you know, like people like us, people who know the entire story from both sides are like oh my God, how did you even try this? Yeah. Like, it doesn't even make sense to think the things these people think. Like, Joe Biden just got the most votes of all time without campaigning. You yeah. are so narcissistic and up your own ass to think that everyone hates Trump as much as you do. Right. And his, he is so hated that 80 million people went and voted for Joe Biden. No, it's, it's That most- didn't happen
1: heard. It's like, no, that didn't happen. Like that did not happen. And And I mean, I only have
0: the hate thing. There's not another reason that they could explain any of it.
1: No, 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 not at all. I mean, uh, it, it also destroys their own narrative of their like God worship of Obama, where they're like, wait, so you're telling me that this like decrepit old man that can't even say like a single sentence Got more votes than like the uh, ultimate Democratic android uh, Obama. Like, what are you talking about? But when
0: uh, you want to really talk about destroying their image of Obama when this all goes down, yeah, and they understand that Obama was not only directly tied to all of this, but directing all of this, yeah, on behalf of other people, yeah. That image is over. The idea that Obama is just this nice guy, wow.
1: Well, that's what's always so weird when you talk to Democrats or people that really like him on the left is that you're like, they don't even understand their own guy. They don't even know, they can't even see that his foreign policy is identical to the Bushes. Like, that's the weird thing is they're like, oh yeah, because like the, the left and the right are so different. You're like, well, why did he pursue the exact same foreign agenda as President Bush Except for adding a lot more conflicts and uh, some hard on for Iran. Like what was, although that you could you could give that to the Bushes too. Um, but like, you know, you're like, okay, so it's neocon versus neocon versus neocon for all these years. I mean, Hillary Clinton is nothing if not a neocon. Um, mm-hmm. There's she never met a war she didn't like. And and you see that and you're like, these these are are, are the Obama people that don't know how connected he is, even if you're going to avoid any kind of tinfoil hat stuff, how connected he is to um, the intelligence community. I mean, even if you um, give the guy it's just it's. It's amazing to me how how much people don't know or don't care. They don't even look at things like, oh, so you're saying this first term, this first term center. Like, it's like there's there's so much about that history that is yet to be dug into because we weren't allowed to. I mean, that was one of the things that actually kind of radicalized me is just noticing how no one was able, was allowed to criticize Obama. And when you look at how insane it is, um, the 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 efforts to undo the Trump presidency, it's just You can't help but notice how how obviously directed this is.
0: It's incredible. Like they talk consistently about the transition, like there's got to be a peaceful transition.
1: Yeah. There was
0: no peaceful transition. In fact, in many ways, there was no transition at all because so many of the agencies and so many parts of the bureaucracy, including people that served under Trump. At high levels are all still in the same system of control that they were in before.
1: Right. No, that's it's absolutely true. I mean, I can tell you even just from walking around places like like state. I mean, they if they could, if they weren't noticed, they would just carry on every single policy that they had been doing before. And it's not to say that, okay, we come in, we change everything from, you know, if it was, if it was left, it goes right. If it was black, it goes, white it was not, it wasn't like that, but it's like, no, it's, I mean, we still need a first term. I mean, that's, what's amazing about it is, uh, is, is, yeah, it's, 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 it's just shocking. And it's, um, it's the peaceful transition of power talking point is so offensive when you know what they did during the last transition. yes oh. Um, it's just, I mean, again, it's, they always, it's, it's the most frustrating thing, them saying they accuse you of exactly what they're doing.
0: It's so true. It's so true. I think that this is ultimately going to wind up with Donald Trump preserving the American order for 200 more years and his face actually being on Mount Rushmore. Like what? I said that to a liberal friend of mine back in April because I was like, the media is going to break By the time the election rolls around, because they are lying. They have chosen to see everything through the lens of whether it helps or hurts Donald Trump. And there's no way the entire country is going to fall for it. I said that back then. I believe it now. I think that we have two or three more bad months, hopefully less. And then it's American Renaissance from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is going to be the craziest time any of us have ever lived through. And I I think it's, you know, who knows what the future holds, but it's going to be something that people look back on and and it's going to be a known, talked about thing for a long time. And that's I mean, again, to kind of end things on a positive note, I mean. I, that's why I'm here. That's why I left the election day party I was at in Dallas with nothing in my suitcase, flew out to Clark County to go work with my old team. Because who gets to be at the foot of history? Who, how many people get to say that they were on the ground, you know, the last 20 people fighting it out in this state? Um, you know, it's, it's just an amazing thing. And I think that, uh, amazing things are about to happen and in one way or I another. Agree. So and you're a
0: big part of that. And your film is a big part of that. And thank if you. there's anyone listening to this that hasn't seen it, go watch it right now. It's so great. The plot against the president, Amanda Milius, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you. This was an awesome, awesome, uh, program. I want to, I want to come back. Uh, and I, and like I said, you got to send me a bill for my therapy.
0: Ha! Well, let's let's do this again uh, after all of this gets wrapped up and we can hopefully just uh, celebrate.
1: Absolutely.
0: Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and parlor at I'm your moderator. Soon I'll be up. On Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a substack, I'm your moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the ring.